the first day of the launch, I think it was like $9,000 was the amount of money I made on the first day. And I like, remember the, like the floor disappeared underneath me. Oh my God, I can do this. I can teach in this way and still be Brian online. That was the big learning. Brian Pataka is the representation whisperer, a coach for actors who want to break into the entertainment industry. And he shares all his secrets on his podcast, Brian Breaks Character, which ranks among the top 1% of most listened to podcasts in the world. With his spiritual and grounding approach to Hollywood, he preaches that when you follow your purpose and let go of limiting beliefs, you can skip the drama, generate momentum, and build excitement around who you are and what you love to do most. Here's the tricky part about Brian's story. His calling was to be an actor. He's been on HBO sets. And to make it, you really got to have that never-ending grit to fight against all odds and swim against the strongest current. So how did he go from wanting to be on screen more than anything in the world to coaching? And is he happy with his choice? In this interview, we'll dive deep into this and more as we discover where Brian came from and where he's headed next. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while you're making dinner, I hope you get to listen to the whole thing without getting interrupted. I know time and space are a hot commodity in my house, so I hope that you get that time with us here too. And please head over to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's my interview with the representation whisperer, Brian Pataka. Welcome to Get Clients First, the podcast for online coaches who have decided to leave vanity metrics behind and finally start making money by helping others now. Not when we have a bigger audience, not when the time is right, whatever that means, but right now. You have the gift and your clients are waiting for you to step up and help them out. Hi, I'm your host, Ina Coveney, six-figure entrepreneur and business coach, and my mission is to help you get clients now, even if you have a small audience. I cross a six-figure mark in my business before I hit a thousand followers on any of my platforms, and I teach you how to do the same. Listen for the lessons and strategies that will turn you into the coach they love to follow and can't wait to hire. This is your moment and there is no time to waste. Get ready because your breakthroughs begin now. Today we have the absolute pleasure of talking to Brian Patrick. Hi, Brian. Hi, I'm so thankful to be here. This is so exciting. Oh, I am so glad that you're here. Before we get started, why don't you tell everybody what you do right now and who you help right now? Great. I The majority of my audience is actors and I am not talking, I'm not an acting teacher. I help actors in the business side of acting, which just so everyone who's listening who is a coach, it's almost exactly the same. They got to just keep putting themselves out there over and over again and they get success sometimes and sometimes don't. And then a smaller portion of my audience is also writers um, and then and also small part of, my audience, it, part of my audience is coaches. So a lot of these actors, a lot of these writers, of course, are finding their survival or their thrival or their other job, their hustle job, to be a place where they're offering services through online spaces. So I also coach them in that space using the success of my own business kind of as a guide. Because of course, people will see my business and be like, I like what that looks like. I want my business to look like that. And so I coach them in that way. And that's very 
hands-on. Most of my programs are very online in large groups. Well, I can't wait to really dive into how you got there because no. I have been doing some studying of my Oh, own. no. Oh, no. And, oh, no. <laughs> uh, so I, I just really want to go back. Why don't we just tell everybody, where were you born? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> start, I'm telling you, like we started going back. Where were you born? Tell me a little bit of what your childhood days were like. Sure. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and I have uh, a single parent family. My parents got divorced when I was pretty young. Uh, I have a younger brother as well, seven years my junior. And so I was the, the older brother who was trying to be the man of the house. My mom was working very much full time. We, um, I would say we weren't homeless in any way, but we were definitely had housing insecurity where we didn't know where we were going to live sometimes. And so, um, and I want to not paint that as a, it was not a homeless situation at all. Just that we were very like, we're living in this apartment. Can we afford it? Where are we moving now? Um, and I think that that kind of instilled in me a bit of don't add problems to the pot like be a good student, like walk towards your strengths because there's already kind of enough going on at home. And my mom, I had an incredible mom, incredible provider for us, always taught me that any I could do anything I wanted to, that anything was possible. She put me in Montessori school when I was little, which I think is a brilliant thing for everybody. Right. And so she was just really, really good at just so like resources were tougher, right? And so I loved being the good son and who did good things. Now I will say I grew up in Ohio. And for those of you who know the United States of America, Ohio is not in in completely welcoming to queer people. And we didn't even use the word queer when I was growing up. And this is before Will and Grace was on TV. And this is me being born. This is me being like coming of age after the AIDS crisis has just happened. And so gay isn't cool yet. And gay is not comfortable. I mean, it's not cool in some places still, but like a, a little boy who's kind of a little bit effeminate or willing to be friends with the moms is like not the vibe. Um, and that was tough. And I didn't also have the words for that because I didn't have any gay role models around me. I just knew that I felt different. Um, yeah. And I was a good student. So teachers still liked me. So I had a good safety in my teachers, but I have best friends who will remember this time of my life where people were mercilessly would make fun of me in the hallway and things like that. And I think I blocked it out or wasn't denying or I put my energy somewhere else. So I don't remember it as well. But when I was in high school, I went to a 2,700 person high school, big high school, the largest in Ohio. And there was one black person, one Asian person, one Jewish person. We all knew who they were. So diversity was not happening. And so there was not a space for me to say, I'm different and it's okay. Like it wasn't okay. Like none of us, I don't think anybody felt self safe who was different. Um, and so it wasn't until I got to Northwestern, which is where I went to college, that I finally was like, oh, oh yeah, I'm gay. I figured it out like on the third day, like I, I had already had an inkling. My mom was incredibly gracious and wonderful about when I was telling her this. Um, and gay is not my entire identity, but it's part of it. And so I think that that was the, it, a big piece of growing up was noticing this difference inside of myself. And then wow. Chicago, Northwestern is in Chicago. Chicago is like a big city. And like, I was like, oh my gosh, look at all these Jewish people. Look at all these people from uh, like, People from Saudi Arabia, like all these people, my school was super diverse. So I was meeting all these very different people. And so that just made me feel like a little bit more like, oh, being different is actually like a little more normal than where I was. Where I was, wasn't normal. This is normal. And I don't think what's normal, question mark, but it just felt like, oh, di being different is okay. It felt a little bit more that way. Anyway, that's that was a lot more than you asked for, but I gave it all to you. It's actually a lot less than I want. So we are <laughs> going to dive in because- I mean, these were your formative years. I mean, have you ever kind of looked back and realized, wait a minute, 
from the age of zero to the age of 18, where your personality is coming to light, where you're starting to realize where you, what your strengths are and what your personality is, that throughout that entire time, you didn't even know what belonging felt like. Like yeah. it was just, you were just, you were just there trying to like figure out how you fit in. It wasn't until you go off to a big city to college and you're like, oh, so yeah. I'm wondering about the before the that moment. I, I'd love to, for you to tell us a story, something that you remember that was really formative that maybe helped you realize a little bit more about yourself before that moment. Do you yeah. remember any stories that like stand out that will paint a picture for us and what it was like to be you before that realization? There may be a couple little crouton-like stories instead of a whole entire Caesar salad of stories. So let me, because certain things came to mind as you said that. Yeah. So one thing that came to mind is when I was little, little, I'm talking probably kindergarten age, my mom said to me, what makes you the happiest? And she said, I got quiet for a minute. And then I said, starting something and finishing it. Mm. And I think that is, hello, what a coach is supposed to do with people. So there's something about that that was part of me coming out of the birth canal, right? Because yeah. I'm, not, and my mom would say, I'm not, I'm, I'm like my mom in that I'm expressive and she's charming and she's charismatic. And I like to think those things about myself, but she's not the same kind of motivation that I have to do all these kinds of things with her life, right? So she says, she says, you're like me and you're different than me. Um, and I'll say my, my, my mom having such a foundational, my mother does not go to church. No one in my family goes to church. And while my mother was not a spiritual person, I think she held firm to the spiritual belief that you are special and everyone is special and no one is special and you are not special. Just that like, we are all here to do the very best that we can. And because she held on to that, it let me, I don't know, blossom. If we're going to use a metaphor here, like say, I can do what I want. I can be what I want. So even in the settings where I'd get on a bus and trigger warning, people would call me fag or faggot or gay. And I was 14 years old, didn't even know what that word meant yet, still a virgin, right? And that I knew there was something inherently still good about me or that there was nothing necessarily, I didn't take on that I was damaged. It probably caused some kind of trauma, but I never said yes to, you are right that there is something wrong with me. What is your mom's name? Dor Doreen, my mom has the greatest name, Doreen. She's a great because mom. Doreen? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the best mom in the world. She deserves a shout out right yeah, here. Yeah, totally, yes. <laughs> um, I have two kids myself and I can, you're going to make me cry. You're making me cry. I just hope that my kids will talk about me the way that you are talking about Doreen right now. Aww. So just a shout out to <laughs> mom. Yes. Because she's so yes. amazing. I do want to kind of complete the picture what were the hard times? What are we not seeing that yeah. was formative for you as a person back in those days? I don't know if this is the answer, but when you said that, this is what came to mind, which is, you know, my parents were divorced, so I would visit my dad. And my dad was not a bad guy in this whole process, um, but he was in Philadelphia and we were in Cleveland. So I would visit him for Christmas or for three weeks in the summer or... Uh, three week, three day weekend, my brother and I would fly there. And I remember, you know, when you're 12 years old and your brother's five and you go on an airplane, like it's like, you're just like, I remember when we first would go, 
my my grandmother, my dad's mom would come with us because we couldn't go on an airplane because we we're so little. Okay. Um, so it'd be like nine and two, basically, or like 10 and three, we'd be going on an airplane. And it was normal for us because that's what it was, right? That's what relationship, that's what our life was. It was, this is how you see your dad. And only lately have I started to think about what I may have missed out on that some other people have or whatever. I'm not, plenty of us come from one parent, parent families. I'm not saying that's the case, but like what that kind of, how that, the impact that had on me, right? Mm -hmm. And I think having a parent where you go visit them and you stay at their house. And I think that my dad was clearly doing the best he could, but it was often like, we're going to fix the house up or we're going to go to the boat. He had the sailboat. We would spend like a week on the boat. We hated slash loved it when we would do this. It sounds really luxurious, but it really wasn't. It was tiny boat. We were on the boat, nothing to do, bored. We're kids. So, right. and it felt weird that I would be at home with my mother who had housing insecurity. And then I would go and I would some form of housing insecurity and I'd go visit my dad and we'd be like fixing the house that he and his wife at this point, probably girlfriend at this point was, was settling into, right? We're like going to fix the bathroom up and we're going to fix the roof up. And it was a real, like, you don't get to choose what you, again, this isn't like, that's not what I would choose to do with my dad. And it feels not like cheating, but incredibly uncomfortable to be making a home when we don't have one. My father died when I was 28. So my, and I'm not I'm that sorry. age anymore. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, everyone, so, uh, and it was difficult to connect with my dad because, and he, I think found it difficult to connect with us, me, because we were different and we got to see each other in short spurts. Um, but he was very insistent that we come visit and we spend time together and I think that I think that I missed out on having a relationship with my dad. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that with us. My next question before we move on from this era of your life is, do you remember besides your mom, there being another adult influence in your life that maybe can shed a little bit of light into why you went into acting or why you ended up in coaching? Like, who, 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 who comes to mind when I say that? So a couple people, my fourth grade teacher was just a huge fan of me. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Trepepe going to call her out right now. I know that she's no longer with us on the planet, but I know she's doing good somewhere. Um, and she, fourth grade was a tough year. We were living in a crappy apartment. I remember, and it was a new school for me. We had to move a lot when I was young. Um, and uh, she was just a really big fan of mine as a student and I was a good student and she just really took me under her wing and um, she was, and it didn't make me think I wanted to be a coach, but I just remember that was a year that I was taken care of by my teacher. Um, and, you know, shout out to all teachers because we know they care more than their paychecks show for. Um, and then it's weird because it was the same year and I don't even know what this was. I couldn't tell you what it was, but some production came to our school. And there was like, it were like, they were like telling stories about having feelings. And I remember there were like people, it was of a Sesame Street-esque. So it was people and then people in costumes. Mm -hmm. And I remember it making a huge impression on me. And I could not tell you what it was called, what it was about. But I remember being like, uh, huge eyes, of course, right? And so I think that that's not a person, but that somehow had an effect on me that like, oh, storytelling on a stage can open our eyes. Cause I don't think I'd ever had that experience. I'd watched cartoons and I'd seen movies, but I don't think I'd ever understood that piece of it. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And then I had a really, really smart English teacher in high school. I think a lot of people have smart English teachers in high school. Um, <laughs> um, Mrs. Geisler. And she was clearly very liberal and open. And we were reading, like, this is when Schindler's List came out. We all went to the movies to go see Schindler's List. And we talked about it. We were reading these incredible pieces of literature. And it was, I was like in the smart kids class. Mm -hmm. In the smart kids class, nobody was talking shit anymore. Nobody was making fun of people. Like, we were smart and that was not the game we were playing anymore. And so that room felt particularly safe to me. Nobody necessarily, I don't think I understood coaching was a job. Mm -hmm. right? I don't think I ever said that. I just knew right. that like, like I directed a show in high school and it was like, I was just good at being bossy. Like that's what I labeled myself as bossy, which is not the same as coaching. Right. Um, and I like, we had to do a movie in our foreign language class in high school. And so we did this French movie and I directed the movie and my friends all said, okay, Orson Welles, because I was so bossy with all of them. And so I don't, I think that the experience of leading, being a leader gave me the idea of understanding coaching a little bit. Right. Yeah. So I, but I was very much on the path of, I'm going to be an actor. That's like yeah. where, what I, what I thought, but that is one of the things that I wanted to do for a while. And so yeah. it, that was just kind of pulling me. And these were mm -hmm. just, again, experiences that I got to have, I think, leading me toward that. What is your, what was your favorite role that you played? I was in a show called The Donkey Show. And it is a disco retelling of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was in a nightclub set, like it was Studio 54. And the show was in New York. It ran for seven years. I was in it for a year and a half. The director of it, her name is Diane Paulus. I think she has two Tony Awards at this point. But this was the show that put her on the map because it was when immersive theater first started to happen. And I was in six shows a week. And I was like, oh my gosh, my first gig. I'd been auditioning for a long time. It was great. Um, I also was the only person in the show who also had a second job. Everyone else was just like, I was like, how are you living your life on this much money? It's not enough money. Um, but I, I think my Midwestern work ethic was like, well, obviously I'm gonna have another job. And so I like had a temporary job in an office and I would steal the postage and I'd be mailing out headshots to people all day long and like, and working really well, but also doing that. And if I can go a little bit further, that's where I figured out I was a coach yeah. because of the talkie show. I would be backstage with all the other actors and we'd be getting ready. We had one dressing room. So we're all getting dressed in this dressing room, putting our makeup on, blah, blah, blah. And we're wearing disco clothes and like practically naked for a lot of the show, basically. So we're all getting dressed. And I would hear the other actors and I was close with them talking about how they were auditioning, but they weren't getting jobs or they couldn't get themselves an agent or their agent wasn't working for them. And I was just very clear that that was crazy talk. I was like, something's wrong here. It's not you. Because they were making it about themselves. And I was like, it's not you because I'm on stage with you every night and I know how fabulously talented you are. Something about this is not right. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of creative people, and this applies to coaches too, can buy into the idea. Like, it's just hard. Like, this is a hard business. That's just the way things are. It's going to be hard to get the opportunities instead of, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just like look at the data instead of the drama for a second and like actually look at what is happening here. And so I would sit these people down and say, okay, come sit next to mama. And because we'd have two shows on a day and I'd say, come sit next to mama. And I'd say, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to do this. You're going to do this to your headshot. You're going to do this resume. Ba, 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 ba. Let's talk about it at the next show. Let's see how it goes. So they would work on stuff and they'd go out and they'd, I got an audition. I'm like, duh, you didn't do it right before. Like, let me show this. So I started just really coaching people on how to get better at this creative career and put themselves out there. And it came pretty naturally to me. Um, and props for props are due. A long time ago, I read this book by Brian O'Neill, Acting as a Business. He was an incredible coach. And I read this little tiny, tiny book. And it just kind of was like, oh, wait, I can think of acting as a business. I think that's the portal that it gave me. I can think of acting as a business. Um, And I will be very clear, I was lucky because I was 
treating my career as a business and I was getting success at the same time. So there is a, a luck factor, right? So I had the, what I say, confidence or validation or verification that when I put energy out, energy comes back, which I think is what's so tough around putting yourself out there. So it gave me like the chutzpah to say, try this, try this, try this. And sometimes I think like the other actors in the cast, like stole some chutzpah from me. They might not have felt the confidence. Brian said to do it, so I'm just going to do it. And so then suddenly actors outside of the cast started finding out that I did this. And so I was started like, oh, well, maybe I should charge for this and start doing this. And then that's kind of how it began. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If it's okay with you, because yeah. I do want to keep talking about like, okay, how did the coaching progress? But I have to say something right now, because if nobody else has gone to check out your Instagram account from back in the day, because I have gone back. I went oh, back God. in 2012 to your very oh, first God. picture. And I, I have to give props where props are due. Oh, no. Oh, no. You just said that for most of the play, you guys were like basically like shirtless the whole time. You had the most beautifully sculpted six-pack abs that I have ever seen in my entire life that I was looking, I'm like, is that real? Or is that like makeup on? I could not tell. And then picture after picture, it kept reinforcing. I'm like, okay, can you please just in this very brief pause, just number one, accept the kudos because okay. that is a hard thing to keep up for a long time. And number two, just give everybody like one tip for Hard abs. Okay, but wait, oh. that picture is old. That's like 10 years ago. That's not fair, first of all. But it was for a long time. It wasn't just one picture. Yeah, you're right. So wait, okay? also, I want everyone to know, my Instagram is not a bunch of thirst traps. So we are going way, we went We're going back. way back. Okay, I'm like way, literally way like grabbing my phone and scrolling like, what photo did she what, see? What like, is I'm she like, what? talking about? <laughs> so please, just one tip and then we can talk Okay, I will tell you, for, for me, the way that it worked was I had to go to CrossFit five days a week. I mean, that, that's not a tip. That's horrible, right? I like, mean, it was that's, not, that's how it's done. It's on it was, work. Yeah, yeah, it was to work. It was right? totally through work, right? Yes, yes. That's, and then and then once in a while when I knew a photo was taking, starving myself. So this is not the way, that this is not good behavior. I want to make sure everyone's aware. It's it's good for people to hear that this is like, that. Like that's what it takes. You. Want oh to yeah, like, we do not, it's not normal. It's not it's, normal behavior. Right. Not healthy behavior, I would even say, right? Okay. Yeah. So I was younger, so I could hand my body could handle it. I was saying, <laughs> no, not anymore. So <laughs> I did want everybody to like hear that out loud. I thought it was very impressive. You just said exactly how it's done. Everybody, yeah. not necessarily a sustainable <laughs> thing. Just you know, let's be all yes. like, yeah. Go head on over ones. to head on over to Brian says that on Instagram, and you can scroll your way down and try to find these skin pics. You'll, <laughs> you'll see these pictures. Okay, so. We started to get into like, okay, how you got into yeah. this coaching thing. Um, what I'm noticing from your story is that you have this incredible knack for, I'm just going to call it project management. It's just like logical, logical thinking, right? Not necessarily like, well, let me just try this and this. And then if this doesn't work, then this doesn't work. And let me just like, it doesn't seem wishy-washy. It seems like very structured. It seems like mm. you're your brain works in a way that you need that to set up that system. Am yeah. I, am I getting this right? Is this, does this resonate? Yeah, I think you? you're seeing it from the outside. So it sounds a little bit, it's the way you described it is better than what it sounds like for me. I think there's, I have unbridled confidence in the idea that if you get it wrong, you will learn something and that's yeah. going to be worth it. So what yeah. I, that was, so what that, so it sounds like a system, but I think what it often is like, go do this 
We're not going to wishy-wash because when you do this, we're going to know if it was the right move pretty quickly. And there is no such thing as the wrong move. Yeah. So I think that's an important piece of it. I think that a lot of people, not I think I know that anyone creative, which is everyone listening, whether you're a coach or not, everyone is creative, is there's a belief, there's a reputation management thing that people are doing. I don't want to look bad. I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. Motherfuckers don't care about you. No one cares about you. We have a song that I teach my clients and it goes like this. I will sing the song. You didn't know this was a musical podcast. It goes like this. No one cares. 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 So when you are getting stuck in your head about what to write in an email, or if you should click send on that, or to put up that Instagram post, no one cares. No one is thinking about you as much as you are. No one is considering it as much as you are. Certainly wrestle over the words you're going to use and take the time. And then when you feel things start to get a little cuckoo inside your head, like for me, I know when things are getting cuckoo inside my head, when I'm staring at an email and I'm like, am I happy with the spacing? Should I change the punctuation? Is that like, if I get a little too deep into the formatting or like something, then I'm like, oh, I'm no longer centering the experience of the recipient. I'm centering the experience of me. And that is not our job. Our job is to center the experience of our could-be clients, our community. When I'm centering myself, I'm in the way. So that's why I go, no one cares, no one cares, click send. Or literally on my world, I'll pass it to a team member and go, I can't look at this anymore. Will you just make sure it's okay and click send because I'm done. I can't can't look at it anymore. I cannot be the one whose eyes are on this anymore. So, So to go back to your question, like when I was working with those actors, I'd be like, do this. And in my mind, I was like, that's the best thing I think for them to do. Let's have them start there. If it doesn't work, we'll do something else, right? And so part of what I think, if I can describe it as like my skill or my gift as a coach is clarity of do this, don't like scrape away the other stuff, focus on this one thing. Because I think sometimes, or I know that because of all the voices in our head and traumas we've had in the past, we've got all this other mishigas going on about, should I do this? Should I do this? Just a little cloudy and murky. And so we end up being analysis paralysis and we don't take action. So mine is like, go do this. I think that's one of the gifts that any coach I think can give to a client when they're in a consultant coach kind of relationship so that the client can learn by doing instead of thinking. I think no one learns, you learn more by doing than you do by thinking all the time. I think thinking is overvalued. I think unless you are a philosopher, you have no job, you have no business thinking so much. Like literally you're thinking too much. Unless your job is a philosopher, do more, think less. Send 10 emails, send one email, see what happens. Look at the data, quit making it about yourself because no one cares. They're receiving your email to see what they can get out of it. Not you. They're not looking at you. Now, look, if you are some influencer and that's your job, you're probably not listening to this podcast. But if you're an influencer, maybe we're looking at you, right? But mm-hmm. don't conflate an influencer with a coach's job. It's not the same thing. That doesn't right. mean we sometimes don't dance in those areas. Like my favorite thing that I offer is this Brian's Favorite Things, brianesfavoritethings.com. If you go to brianesfavoritethings.com, I send a monthly newsletter with like my favorite things. That's very Oprah's favorite things, right? right? And it's a little influencery because it's clearly stuff that I care about but I'm not attached to it being perfect or about my personality. It's like, I'm obsessed with a certain kind of anchovies right now. And I'm talking about it in my newsletter or whatever. Right. So like this is, so again, I'm decentering myself and eccentering the experience of what is the recipient? Are they going to feel joy when they open this email? Are they going to feel seen? Are they going to feel touched? Are they going to feel motivated to click on something? Right. Those are the tenets of what marketing is for. Yeah. Not make me look good. Right. 
Let someone else worry about that. Okay. You need to tell us the story okay. of how you went from acting is my calling yeah. to doing some coaching on the side because it seems like, okay, people are hanging <laughs> on to this. I'm just going to charge money for it. Now I'm working for that company. Okay. Like this is all fine and good to going like, maybe I shouldn't be focusing on the acting anymore. And maybe yeah. I should be focusing on the coaching. Can you tell us that story? Yeah. I, and to kind of give this, make this relatable to anybody else who's listening is if you've ever experienced something like revelation or realization that was so clear, that's what this was moment was like for me. So I was on set at the newsroom on HBO. Um, and I had this great little role and I was surrounded at that point, I was coaching actors on the business still, but I was also acting, um, and making my living kind of mixing the book. Mostly I was making my living as an actor and the coaching was still a hobby in some ways. Um, but this was the kind of job that the actors that I was working with would like really be striving for. So I got on set and there's Aaron Sorkin and there's Alan Poole, the director, and we're reading through it. That's not a big part, but it's a cute, very cute, fun part, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is fun. This is fun. And then, and I also remembered that I had to cancel three clients to be there that day and move some other ones on the day that I had a fitting and had to shift things around to make this gig work. And I was like, oh, this is fun. This is fun. I was like, but it's not as fun as coaching. Wow. And I was like, okay, we got to do the job. Don't leave the set. You got to do your job. Have some fun. Like, like I remember like, just be like, okay, you have fun. And I left and I didn't like carry this with me very much. Just kind of, it was like a moment. Right. And I was like, da, 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 great. Go home to bed. It was a long day. And then I like talked to a friend who also happens to be a coach. And like, I needed the encouragement of someone else. I'll be very clear here. She said, well, what if you like gave up acting? And I was like, what are you talking about? Clutch my pearls. No way, Jose. Um, and she goes, well, what if you just gave it up for like two weeks? And I was like, okay, I'll try that. And so what does that mean? It didn't mean I fired my manager. It didn't mean I fired my agent. It just meant I'm not going to put energy out to try to build opportunities. I'm going to step back on all that business of acting stuff that I do for myself, let them handle it, and I'm going to lean into coaching. Well, the two weeks turned into two months, turned into four months. I was by. I was out. I was like, there's no, why would I do this? Why would I bother to keep? doing this when I am so drawn to being with my clients. Now, it was a slow mountain, cut, slow, slow denouement, I would say, because like I made good money as a commercial actor and I booked commercials pretty regularly. So for a while, I kept my commercial agent. And then as the commercial auditions would get in the way of me being with clients, I was like, I can't go. I can't go. I can go. Okay, I'm done. I have to leave. Like, that's literally what it looked like. And in some ways, I was lucky as a coach because actors knew me and I had this very big base of clients. But as soon as I said, let me make this into a business of my own, boom, 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 stuff started to happen, right? I built my first online course. I had my first like big launch. What, how did the online world come into this? Like you, you were sure. doing this offline. Well, how did right. how did you start doing this online? So uh, I'm going to say that this is, so first of all, my first coaching, this was back in New York. And then I brought this to LA was in small groups. So I did accountability groups. I would be the coach. We'd meet every week. Right. And I did that in New York. Then I came and I did it in LA. And then as I left acting, I was like, okay, I've got more room for private clients. So I'd work one-on-one -on -one in person with private clients. They'd come to my space and once in a while, I would do a phone session or Zoom was really weird still. It was not the thing anyone was doing. 
And then I started working with a coach, the coach that connected us to us drivers, of course. And she was helping me to figure out, there was something that I kept doing with actors, which is, I think this will be relatable to everyone. LinkedIn is where you look for a job or people go to look at your resume. If you're going to get hired for a job or you're going to have an interview in the acting world, they use casting profiles that are submitted to casting directors to get auditions and actors were not spending enough time on their casting profiles. And every time I'd sit with an actor, I'd be like, we need to fix this. We need to fix this. We need, like I knew that there was, so I built a course around let's make your casting, your acting profiles look amazing. And that was my first work. The, the course was my first time teaching online more than one-on-one -on -one coaching was. Cause like, Oh, I have to figure out how do I teach online? And I think I'd been enough live rooms that I could figure mm -hmm. out, okay, here's how you're going to relate to what you do in the room versus put it on a screen. And so I figured out how to create the course and all of that. And I had one person on my team to help me with all this stuff. And, and then I had my first launch. And I remember my first launch, the first day, all this I'm a little bit of a perfectionist when it comes to wanting things to look good and feel good. And part of that has to do, I think, with if you're going to take a course with me, it should be fun. Yes, it'll be work, but you better be having a good time. We're not here to have a drudgery life. Go to law school or something if you want that, right? So mm -hmm. I'm like, that's something a little fun. So my I cared a lot. So it took me some time to do that. But I remember the first webinar that I taught live and it being so aligned with my values. And I remember like the first day of the launch, I think it was like $9,000 was the amount of money I made on the first day. And I like, remember the, felt like the floor disappeared underneath me. Right. I was like, oh my God, I can do this. I can teach in this way and still be Brian online. That was the big learning. I can still be myself and give, bring the gifts that I think that I have in the room to an online setting. And that was the huge piece of learning for me. Can you tell me what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have of you as a successful business owner? Oh, I am responsible for this misconception. But the misconception, yeah, it's my fault. The misconception is we are just thriving and it's the billion dollar business over here and everything is just like so shiny and perfect and la 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 and flashy. And like, yes, I care about making things pretty. Yes, we're successful at times, but like we are just coming, this business is coming through a incredible eight month strike, double whammy strike, WGA and SAG after. It's been a really tough year for my business and actors everywhere. And I think my own positivity or optimism can overshadow harder times uh, mm -hmm. in terms of like, we had to shut down the podcast for a few months because of this, right? We're not coming back till 2024. Like, so I think that the misconception can be that, I don't know that like I live in a mansion in Beverly Hills or something. And like, we're like rolling in money. I don't know. That could be one piece or that like um, everything's always going well, like that I'm some kind of unicorn. And I think that my effort lately has been to share more of the struggle or to show more of the struggle with the strike. I also don't want to center myself at a time when actors are not able to get work. Right. And so yeah. it's not my space. Look how sucky it is over here to be a coach for actors. Like I actually want to be a, beautiful, joyful landing spot during that time. So I know when this is airing, we're past that and hopefully we're seeing great numbers and all that stuff. But I think that's a big misconception that just like, it's so easy or just look how successful Brian is. And, and like, we got a team that's working real hard and sweating it out day after day right now, especially after the strike. So if everybody who's listening had to do what you're about to tell them to do and they have to do it in the next 24 hours, what would that thing be? Will you please email someone? please email someone that you need business from. 
email one person. And here's how I want you to think about that. Pick the person that just came to mind, quit shopping because the person who came to mind is the right person in the universe. Put that thought in your head and that it's exactly the person who needs to hear from you today. 24 hours. So if you can't do the second you're late, listen to this at nine o'clock at night. Oh, it's okay. You do it tomorrow morning. But email one person and the email goes like this. Hey, I just thought of you the other day. I thought of you today and I wanted to reach out to you. I am helping a lot of people X, Y, Z fill in the blank. And I would love the chance to help you with that. Is that something you could use help with right now? Hoping are you helping on a call with me? Some version of that. Let go of all the other marketing mishigash you do. Let go of all the other ways you do this in the funnels and the ba -ba 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 -ba. email one person with that messaging, especially if you have a small audience, they will feel so seen. They will feel so like welcomed. And no matter what, even if they don't become your client, you will learn something about using an approach like this. So I would say is action, action, quit thinking about it. Do it today. Just do it. Yeah. Uh, Brian, this has been such a lovely conversation. I'm going to confess, I had so many more questions for you. I was going to show you videos of you so you could react to them. Like I was ready, but like, I love how this conversation is. Well, like, I want to come back for a part two. When you're ready for a part two, I'll come back. You let me know. We we should totally do that because I feel like we could really dive into like the strategy. I would love it. Oh, I would love I would love to talk strategy with you. Oh yes. We need to do this then. So okay. everybody prepare for part two. In the meantime, where can everybody go and follow you and keep tabs on you? And if you have something that people should go and grab right now, tell everybody what it is. Sure. So first I'm gonna tell you all about the freebie that relates exactly to that 24-hour challenge we've given everyone. So if you go to brianbreakscharacter.com backslash 74. So brianbreakscharacter.com backslash 74, you will get this incredible download that comes with an audio training from my podcast, How to Say Thank You Without Being Weird, because it is never too late for gratitude. And I believe gratitude is one of the fuels for connection. And I bet there's someone in your business that you could thank right now. So this training just helps you get through that. So it's brianbreakscharacter.com backslash 74. And you know what? Go look at my abs. Go to Brian says that on Instagram. Brian says that on Instagram. You will not see my abs unless you go scrolling. Stay at the top. You know, I'm different now. I'm a little different. I'm still looking good. Okay. But different. So I would love to see you there. Uh, and I'm always, if, uh, I'm always in my DM. So feel free to message me directly. We'd love to hear from anybody who's listening. And since you're listening on a podcast right now, make sure to go and follow Brian Brakes Character, the podcast, yeah. so you can yes. hear straight from Brian. Brian, you've been amazing. Thank you so much. I'm holding you to part two because we got to I can't wait. Thank you. Roll up our sleeves <laughs> and talk business, okay? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Hey there, Ina here. After listening to this episode, you may have a million questions. You can DM them all to me on Instagram at Ina Coveney, or you can head over to our free Facebook community and post your question there. Go to getclientsfirstpodcast.com slash Facebook or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit follow or subscribe on your podcasting app so you don't miss another episode of the Get Clients First Podcast. Coach, you got everything it takes to blow up your business. And I'm here to give you all the guidance and the push you need week after week. So it's a date. I'll see you on the next one. <music>